invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, today I want to introduce you to the topic of our next study by looking at the subject of joy in Christ. And we're going to actually just read verses 12 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, our next study uh, that will begin next week, and we'll give more details about that next week, will be from the book of Philippians. We'll be going through the book of Philippians, which theme, whose theme is joy. Uh, but this is just sort of an introduction to that topic. Paul writes to the church, he said, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, let's bow our heads and pray to the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that you speak to us that is truth. Uh, God, I pray today um, that you might encourage us as your people as we live in a fallen world, as we uh, face the temptations that we do and the trials and, and the difficulties. Uh, Lord, may you uh, give us hope to be reminded who you are uh, and the wonderful power of your salvation that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. So many uh, in our country today are struggling with anxiety and worry. Uh, the more I read, the more I see that sort of pop up. And recently I, I read an article by Derek Thompson uh, about an article about how anxiety has become its own genre of popular content. Uh, social media feeds are, are crowded with a ther therapy influencers who tell us uh, to be more aware of our anxiety and our trauma and, and the distress that's in our lives. And as anxiety has become a content, it's also become a part more of daily conversations. People are more open to talk about their anxiety and their trauma and the things that have gone on in their life. And there's one sense in which that can be good. There may be things that have been hidden in the past, things uh, about abuse or other uh, wrong things that have been done have, can now come to light and can be discussed and can be dealt with, or maybe in the past they've been suppressed. But others would argue, and I would have a tendency to agree with them, that the rising volume of anxiety content on the social media is detrimental. That, that watching and listening to so much anxiety content, uh, which transforms medical diagnosis into a kind of popular media category, might be contributing to our nation's anxiety crisis. They say today that the anxiety level of high schoolers is higher than it's ever been before. And God understands that struggle. God understands uh, what it means for us as his people to live in the midst of a fallen world. And the Bible speaks much about anxiety and fear and other such things. 
But it, it, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't just speak about those things that we are to put off, but also those things which we are to put on. Those things that are part of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ and the, and the privilege that we have. It doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with the things that we wrestle with, but there is a perspective that God gives us and the blessings that God gives us in Christ that we need to be reminded of this morning. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. And the verse is simply this, rejoice always. Actually, in the original, the adverb comes first. So literally, it says, always rejoice. Uh, and, and actually, this is a, a command. Uh, it, it, it's in, and it's a command in the present tense. And you don't probably have to know Greek. You've probably heard enough preachers talk about the present tense of a Greek verb that, that oftentimes means that it is an ongoing thing that is to happen. And so uh, this, trans, this could be translated, always continue to rejoice, or maybe a more less awkward way of saying it is always be rejoicing. That's what God uh, has saved us to do in Christ, is to always be rejoicing. Now, let's talk about this uh, topic of this word joy or rejoicing. Uh, what, what's that mean? Well, let's, let's be honest about it. You know, what comes to mind when you think of joy? Uh, do you think of it in terms of a command or an obligation? And I would guess probably not. You know, uh, the, the world's definition of joy is that it's more of an emotion, it's something more that wells up within you. It's something we feel or experience because of our circumstances. Joy is something that dwells up within us that, that really happens to us um, that's dependent upon the circumstances in our life. And that's because the world's definition of joy comes from worldly desires or worldly pleasures. A Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for, uh, for in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, he sought everything that his heart's desired. Um, and that earthly joy comes by following the impulses of your heart. And in other words, when you desire something, you long after it, you, just, you lust after it, maybe you have a passion for something, right? And, and so you seek that that would be fulfilled in your life. And when you acquire that, then there is what the world would say is joy. Maybe they might use the term happiness, but that's earthly joy, completely connected to our desires. So that might be a sense that you're driving an old beat-up car and you finally save up enough money, you can buy a brand new car. Or maybe you get the latest phone, uh, and you're just so excited because now it has AI capability, and you can utilize all that there is with AI with that. Or maybe it's buying a new outfit that you've wanted for a long time. Or kids, maybe for you, it's a, a toy or, or a game that you have wanted for a long time. But as Proverbs warns us and reminds us, it says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. 
In other words, we may want and want and want and want and rush after that which we want, driven by our impulses and uh, seeking to have those things fulfilled. But oftentimes those things turn to grief. After a while, the joy just sort of fades away. It's very short-lived. Maybe it lasts only as long as the thing that you desired uh, is still bringing you pleasure. For some people, it's not e they don't even have that benefit. Their, their desire is in the hunt for the thing. And so they don't even have joy in their hearts once they acquire whatever it is they want. They just love the pursuit of going after something. And so once they have acquired that, it's gone. But for many, it's the joy of the toys at Christmas time quickly fade away. You know, I, I asked my mom and dad for this. I've wanted it for a year and I finally got it. But now it's beginning of February and guess what? It's just an old toy, just like all the rest of my toys. Or the outfit goes out of style or the gadget is replaced by the next and newer version of whatever it is. And so it's no wonder that Job says that the exalting of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless, but for a moment. Joy is completely connected to some desire. When the pleasure ends, then the joy is gone. That's how the world views joy. And another way that the world sometimes speaks about joy is maybe in terms of personality. You know, maybe a person who is a joyful person, a happy person, a very positive person. It's, it's someone who is naturally more bubbly and upbeat than other people. Someone whose their natural approach to life is to see every, you know, the glass is half full, right? Or maybe they see the glass is overflowing. They're just that kind of person. Always seem to have a positive outtake. And of course... There's other kinds of people that we might uh, label as more moody, or maybe we might call them Eeyores, right? You know, woe is me, right? You know, the, from Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, they just sink under every opposition, and they see opposition even when it's not there. But when the Bible talks about joy, it's not referring to overcoming our natural tendencies in order to have a more positive approach to life. We're not talking about playing mental games when the Bible speaks of joy. It's talking about something that's very real. So what does Paul mean when he writes to the Thessalonians to always rejoice? What, what does he mean? Well, when we're talking about something that's, that transcends the power of uh, excuse me, we're, we're talking about something that more than just trans, transcends the power of positive thinking. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, uh, the problem with just being positive about things is that our positiveness not, cannot overcome every circumstance. You know, if, if we are a person who are, is enduring such as the suffering of Job or some, something to that degree... I don't care how positive you are, circumstances can get on top of you. They can become so heavy and so weighty and so difficult and can strike at the very idols of your heart that you, be, that you are overcome. The other problem with positive thinking is that it depends upon our own abilities and our strength, which we all know our abilities and our strength ebbs and flows with the circumstances of life. 
And so they are not enough to bring true, lasting joy. But what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about here, is a supernatural joy. Where we're talking about something that belongs only to Christians. Something that is, is deep down. It's as, um, it is as to its source, identified in Galatians 5.22 as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. You know, we had that whole series uh, we did on the fruit of the Spirit. And in fact, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here again, reiterating the fact that this joy comes from God. So we're talking about a spiritual joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God through Christ and it's dispensed by the Holy Spirit. It's not the kind of joy that the world knows. It, it doesn't exist only when our desires are fulfilled. It's not a joy that's just tied to our circumstances or our desires. But I would say this, that our joy is always tied to something outside of ourselves. From the world's perspective, it's tied to the desires and the circumstances of our lives. But for the Christian, our joy is tied to God himself. It is tied to our relationship with God. Now, having said all that, let me give you sort of define what I mean by joy. It's sort of a definition, description. It, it, joy, it, it's the experience of well-being in your life. It's that experience of well-being. No matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you're struggling with, there's a sense of well-being that is maintained there. And that well-being springs up from the deep down confidence that, that God is in perfect control of everything for my good and His glory. Or maybe I should say for His glory and my good would be the more appropriate way. So it's that, that well-being that, that springs up from the deep down confidence that God is in perfect control of everything for my good and His glory. Um, a picture that I heard used years ago to sort of describe joy was if you could picture uh, the surface of an ocean and there's a hurricane that's, that's going over the ocean and the winds are blowing and the waves are, are way high and if there was a ship there, it would be capsized because there's just so much turmoil that's going on and on the surface of the ocean. But if you go down deeper and deeper and deeper, even though that storm is going on, there's this perfect peace that is there, that that storm does not affect it. And that's, what, that's a picture of what joy looks like for the Christian. So such joy is not the product of a relationship with God that only thinks of God on Sunday mornings but a relationship that sees God at work in all of circumstances of life. It doesn't mean that we rejoice because of every circumstance. We don't say, oh Lord, thank you so much that my child has walked away from the faith. Oh Lord, I thank you so much for this life-threatening disease. You know, we're not thanking God because of every circumstance in our lives, but we are rejoicing in every circumstance of life because we know that God is in control 
of what happens to me and he only brings about those things that are good for me and bring him glory. And even if I don't understand how God is working these things out for my glory, I know that I can trust him and, and this confidence in God results in that sense of well-being even when I don't understand God's ways. But it isn't our natural tendency as humans, excuse me, but isn't it our natural tendency as humans to, to try to figure things out that, that are happening? We want to make sense of the things that we go through. We want to wrestle with. We want to understand why this is happening. Why is this person treating me this way? Why did I lose my job? Lord, what is going on? What are you doing? And we can, we can get caught up in that and struggle, uh, which is uh, very difficult. And there are, are many things that Satan seems to do to rob us of our joy. But that's why Paul says, always be rejoicing. It's a command. It's a command just like the command to love. You know, agape love. You know, we, Hollywood talks about love as you fall in, you fall out of love. But the Bible talks about godly love as, a, as an act of the will. It's a choice. It's something we choose to do in spite of the circumstances of life. And joy is the same way. It's a command. God commands us to be confident in Him and to understand that a lack of sin, or excuse me, a lack of joy is sin, an expression of our, our faith. Or, excuse me, our flesh, expression of our flesh. You could say that the joy is a barometer of our relationship with God. That the absence or the presence of joy measures the degree of intimacy and trust that we have with God. Now, lest that, those words sound harsh, because there may be some that are here today who are struggling with very difficult circumstances. Please understand that God is gracious and compassionate. And he understands your struggle. He even calls us to walk alongside each other through these difficulties. Uh, God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. What? Weep with those who weep. For the believer, there will be those times when joy gives way to weeping. In, in those times, we must weep with others because they're weeping. There, there's something about a tender embrace from someone who's in pain and sorrow, someone who understands what we're going through. We appreciate it so much when they come up and they give us a hug. There's, there's something for someone who will come alongside us and, and, and shed their tears with us as we go through those difficult times. There is something about understanding sympathetically someone's sorrow and showing them compassion. But, but while that believer weeps, there can also be that deep down abiding joy. You know, I think sometimes as preachers, and I, I was wrestling with this this week because I, I, I think I've been guilty of this, where it's like just turn your eyes from your circumstances to turn your eyes to Jesus. And the reality is that sounds so simplistic, but the reality is our circumstances are always before us. Those things don't go away. Annie doesn't just say, well, I just won't think about the pain that I'm going through, right? You know, Elizabeth doesn't say, well, I'll just forget about the, the reality of stumbling downstairs whenever that happens in my life. You know, those things don't go away. They're always there. But it's in the midst of those things, 
that we look to the Lord and we can have that abiding joy. I think about the Apostle Paul and, and he talks about that balance as well in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 8 through 10. And he said, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's a sense for the Christian that we do go through those difficulties in life. And it may be, maybe you're desiring to be married and the Lord has not opened that door. Or maybe you want to have a child and the Lord has not provided that. It may be through these difficult things that you're going through and, and, and you're, you're wrestling and you're weeping inside. But even in those things, we can have a strong confidence that, that God is in control of all things of our lives. And under these tears and under that sympathy is this unending joy at all times rejoicing. Now, there are obstacles that come into our life, and I'm just going to go through these briefly because they really come from the book of Philippians, and we're going to go through those in more details. But there are things that Satan seeks to do to steal us of our joy, things that we're not strangers to. Um, now, I will, I'll explain more next week, but let me just say this, that the letter to the Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he loved very dearly. And the theme of which that book is joy. But in his letter, Paul enumerates circumstances that tempted the Philippians to, to take their eyes off of Christ and to rob them of their joy. Number one, uh, chapter one, he talks about trials uh, that... Uh, they had to endure and that he also had to endure as well uh, but as james reminds us it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing he's saying that even when we don't feel joyful about our trials we must count it or we must consider it as a matter of joy and we do this not because the things we are enduring are pleasurable because of, but as James says for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness that you know that what the Lord is taking you through he will cause your faith to grow your trust in him more in other words God brings various trials in our lives as a means of testing our faith and ultimately perfecting our faith in him the second thing we see in Philippians is, is selfishness or works of the flesh that produce uh, tension and discord within the body of Christ. And, and that's why Paul says, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Because it is that selfishness that can rob us of our joy. Chapter 3, he talks about false teaching. Uh, that goes on. There were those who were wanting to teach wrong things about circumcision. And the one thing about false teaching, as I was thinking about this this week, it always leads to self-reliance. Have you ever thought about that? If you look at any false teaching in, in the Bible, it always directs your focus away from God and puts the confidence on yourself and on what you do, which is the opposite of, of what produces joy in our life. 
And then finally, in Philippians 4, we see that joy can be maintained and increased even in spite of Satan's temptations um, and, and his attempts to steal our joy, that God's purpose in trials is always good. And so let us never forget that joy is that, that experience of well-being that springs up from the deep-down confidence that God is perfect and, and perfectly in control of everything for our good and for His glory. Whether we go through trials, whether we struggle with selfishness, whether it's false teaching. But how can we rejoice? How can we rejoice? Paul says, always rejoice. Well, in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul speaks about joy and about the Christian's duty to rejoice over and over again. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Right? Again, I will say rejoice. This is one of those biblical imperatives that, that leaves no room for not rejoicing. He's saying rejoice always, not sometimes or even most of the time, but always. And then he goes on and says, oh, by the way, if you didn't catch it the first time, let me repeat it. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul wrote this epistle from prison. And he's addressing some rather somber matters as he writes to this church that he loves so much. He's even facing the possibility of his own martyrdom. As he says that he's being poured out as a sacrifice, as a drink offering. And yet he tells the Philippian believers that they should rejoice despite his circumstances. So this brings us back to the matter of how can we be joyful as a matter of discipline or of the will? How is it possible to remain joyful at all times? And Paul gives us the key in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. The source of joy for the Christian is the Lord. If, if Christ is in me and I in him, that relationship is, is not a sometimes experience. It is that he is closer, as Psalm 139 talks about. He's closer than the very breath. He hems me in before and behind. God is with me wherever I am. And as trials come, God doesn't just simply instruct us to endure them. Just suck it up and get through it. But in those trials, he calls us to place our confidence in him. That the circumstances that he sent is for our good and for our glory. Even though I don't understand what God is doing in my life, I trust him. And, and I understand, or excuse me, and even though I don't understand, I know that he is doing something. And this trust allows me to endure uh, in the midst of those trials as a matter of joy. And even if the Christians can't rejoice in their circumstances, they still can rejoice in their Christ, knowing that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he loves us and only wants what's good for us. And brothers and sisters, it's this kind of joy that will allow us to, in, uh, to endure those deep waters, whether that is the threat of a terminal illness, whether that's a prodigal child that we have no relationship with, um, who has turned from the Lord, whether it's a difficulty in our marriages, whether it's being a widow or widower um, and living alone for the rest of your life and instead of enjoying your golden years, feeling lonely and abandoned, unlike the world is passing you by, 
uh, whether you're single, wanting to be married, and yet the Lord hasn't opened that door, the command to always be rejoicing is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to produce some sense of joy in your life. Rather, it is that sense of abiding in Christ and, and turning to Him and remembering His promises and standing on those promises and praying those promises and claiming those promises, walking with Him, trusting in Him daily in the midst of the unresolved conflict and circumstances of your life, knowing that the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of joy in our lives. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. In other words, in your sufferings, give yourself entirely to Him, submitting to His wise ordering of your life, knowing that the day of humiliation will not last forever. And then also, Peter goes on and he says, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He understands that that weight is heavy, that whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you are facing, that is more than you can bear. But how often do we carry our anxieties upon ourselves, thus tempting us to worry about our suffering and our trials, trying to figure out what it is, trying to get some sense of resolve rather than resting in Him. And our worry, I don't think we oftentimes think about this, our, our worry can be a form of pride because it, it's, it takes on concerns upon ourselves instead of entrusting them to the Lord. We think, God, I can do this. I can handle this. I can figure this out. And maybe you're here today and you're carrying too much of your load. And that will turn into a temptation really fast because you're not offloading it or casting it upon Him. You were never created by God to carry these burdens of what it means to live in a fallen world. Or maybe our temptation is false expectations. Maybe, maybe you think you deserve more than you're getting. Or maybe you think you do not deserve to suffer as you are. But brothers and sisters, it is in those dark times of the soul that we often meet God and see Him as He really is. Too often we are focused on the priorities of this world. We're thinking about, you know, our life and what our dreams are and, and what we think we should, we, we should have. But God's direction for us is so much more precisely focused on eternal matters. He's working in our lives to make us like Christ. Every time God moves you one step toward the image of Jesus Christ, that's a, that is a monumental blessing in His eyes that you trust Him more. God wants us to know Him more intimately. But what we don't often realize is for us to know Him more fully, we must trust Him more completely, which normally comes through those trials of life. So what happens if you're here today and you're struggling? You say, Pastor Rick, I want to have that joy, but I'm wrestling. Well, take heart, brothers and sisters. Paul admonished to the believers to be joyful presupposes that believers 
uh, can't have that sense of joy. Paul gives us one of the most practical of these teachings in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a call to meditate upon God himself and the things of God to turn our attention to him. So when we find ourselves depressed and down and irritated and annoyed and otherwise unhappy, we need to return to the source of our joy and to see our lives, not from the perspective of this world, but from the perspective of eternity, of what God is doing in and through us. And when we see God's loving hand of providence guiding us, no matter what the circumstance, we can then trust in Him, knowing that His love is an everlasting love. Uh, I, I recently read uh, a meme, and I, I, I tried to find it to see exactly what it said. But it said something to the effect of, God can never stop loving you because He never started loving you. He always has loved you as his child because he loves you with an everlasting love. Do you believe that? Can you take that to heart that God loves you so much? That's, that's a love that's foreign to us. That's a love that's foreign. We've never experienced that only from God. And it reminds us of the word of the prophet Habakkuk as he received a word from the Lord that he had to proclaim to God's people about how God was going to bring uh, intense judgment upon the people of God for their rebellion. He was going to use a wicked nation to come against them and, and just to wipe out the land in one sense. And Habakkuk writes these words. He said, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can you say that this morning, brothers and sisters? If God's hand of providence has turned against you, could you say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Of course, the reality is that God will not stop manifesting his care and giving us his tender mercies and his blessings. He will always be showing us mercies, even when we see those, when, even if we don't see those ourselves. No matter what you're going through, don't let Satan steal your joy. What's the, the greatest enemy of joy? Well, some might think sorrow or grief, but I would suggest to you that it's anxiety. It's being anxious about life. Um, it, it's telling that immediately after uh, the command of Philippians 4 to rejoice always. Paul goes on to say this in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious 
about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's words remind us of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, it is anxiety that robs us of our joy. And what is anxiety but fear? Fear is the enemy of joy. It's hard to be joyful when we're afraid and we doubt God's goodness. The prohibition that Jesus gives more than any other in his teaching in the New Testament is this, fear not. This too, it's, it's an imperative, it's a command. Don't fear. And again, the only solution to go back is to go back to our Father. We need to go to Him in prayer, to fellowship with Him. And in this way, we stay close to the source of our joy. We shed our anxieties and, and the fruit of the Spirit ripens in us again if we understand who Christ is and what He has done for us. We have this dimension of joy. And so let me encourage you to read through the book of Philippians this week. Meditate on those. Read through it many times. Read through it in different translations. Begin to familiarize yourself with this book uh, as you consider the, the, the joy that comes in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're going through difficult times, let me ask you, will you place your trust and your confidence in God this morning? Maybe you're under some very strong temptation uh, because if there is anything Satan would want to do more, it's to steal your joy. Uh, Peter says, First uh, Peter 5, 8, he goes around, Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Christ is calling you to trust him. Uh, to know, not just intellectually, but experientially, to know that God is in perfect control of everything in your life. And he's working it out for his glory and for your good. Let that deep down confidence guard your heart in Christ Jesus, giving you the well-being you need to stand fast in him. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we take just a moment to meditate on God's word this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. That, the, that the, the things we see written in your word are not just high platitudes that really have no bearing upon our lives. 
But God, you made us. You are our creator. You're the one that breathed life into us. You are the one that has sustained us our entire life. You know us, O oh God. And the words that you speak are words of truth. And so, Lord, I pray for those, for all of us here this morning who need to hear your word, who need to trust you in the midst of the circumstances of life. Oh, God, help us. We pray to draw near to you that your joy may guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. That we may even be able to rejoice in you, Lord, in the midst of difficult circumstances. Just like our brothers and sisters that we prayed for in Cameroon, Lord, who are undergoing such trials and persecution and even being put to death, Lord, by the hands of their enemies. And we pray that they may shine like bright lights. May we do so as well. But Lord, I pray for the one that's here today that's struggling, that's struggling to trust you. Oh Lord, help them to give their soul to you, to rest in you, knowing that you will keep us in your everlasting arms, that Christ is sufficient, that he is not only all powerful, but he is good and he loves us. We thank you, O oh Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.